Welcome to a very special holiday episode of Adulting. Today we're going to talk about the holidays or hella days as we like to call them because they are so rife with tension and triggers and stress and general loveliness. My name is Ryan Mitchell. I'm a licensed professional counselor. Um, none of this podcast should be construed to be medical advice. Uh, please seek your own treatment or treatment team for that. And I'm joined by Tara Rolfus. I'm just a person with an eating disorder going through school and doing life with kids. Hey. Okay, so to prepare for this podcast, I asked Tara to write a list of her peeves around the holidays. So we're going to take some time for her to share that and us to rip on them. Yeah. Yeah, let's go. Do you for want me it. to go for it? All right. I think they're like 10 altogether. I'm trying to keep it concise because I have a lot of issues with the holidays, but these 10 were pretty much it. So, and they're not in any particular order, but um, the first one I wrote down was weird meal times. Because like when you're in ed recovery, you have to plan out your meal times. And then like Thanksgiving starts, your family's saying Thanksgiving's going to start at two. Okay. Well, that's. 30 minutes before my snack time, do, do I skip lunch and eat that? Or do I have a smaller snack for lunch and then do I switch them? Or yeah. Yeah. So, like having to fit in snacks during weird meal times makes it really difficult to do the work and hold space for both following your meal plan and then also trying to enjoy the day. So, how, how have you found a way around that? Or have you? I haven't. Um, this year, I'm not going home to see family. Um, I actually volunteered to work on Thanksgiving, so we're going to, and I have to eat a little earlier, so we're going to eat at 11 o'clock, and which isn't too terribly early. Early, I could um, eat my breakfast early and my morning snack early, and it'll be fine, but in the past, when it's just, um, if it's just my mom side of the family getting together, I try to be open and then offer suggestions like we could do 1.30 or 1 o'clock. And typically they'll follow that. But for my dad's side of the family, typically things start at two or three even. And it's just, I have to roll with it. So I'll talk to my dietitian and tell her the situation. And she usually tells me what That's to do. That's tough too. Because I know in my family, there wasn't, I don't even know if there was a set meal time. It was like, we're going to do lunch. And it was done when everything was done. Yeah, I mean, we were, I mean, we were going to eat when it was ready to eat. And there's, it might be one, it might be four. Yeah. I've just kind of radically accepted that holiday meals are going to be really random and I'll have no control over when we eat, sometimes even where it's going to go down. Because that brings up a really good point too, which is at different phases, I guess, or different parts of your recovery, you're going to be in a different place for that. Um, ultimately, of course, the goal is going to be greater and greater flexibility so that those times, you know, okay, you can trust your, trust yourself and your body enough to make up for those weird times. But until you reach that point, you're really reliant on that meal plan. Um, almost, almost to a detriment of flexibility becomes like another, another rigid rule set. We talked about that a little bit last time, like on the one hand you need it. On the other hand, is it helping you become more flexible? Definitely. I think this year I can be more flexible 
because my mom was just in town and we ended up eating at weird times and then eating out a lot, which I don't ever do. So that was really challenging for me. And I couldn't, the rule was if we ate out, I had to eat out as well. And then it finally got to the point where it was happening so much that my therapist was just like, all right, you don't have to do this anymore. Just bring your own food. (laughs) Or do it. It's like some serious exposure therapy. Yeah. It was. It was intense. Um, Let's see. The second thing I wrote down, possibly the most annoying, the near constant chatter of diet talk, weight loss, working out, calorie talk, nutritional value how your cousin has gone gluten-free or paleo and how Aunt Sharon is on the keto diet. The whole day like ends up being super triggering for behaviors. And then typically when that stuff happens, I just leave. Can't be here anymore. Gotta go. Like have it out. I'm a big fan of like, like go watch football (laughs) or the parade. My favorite's the parade, the shows on the parade. You know, go watch something where you don't have to interact as much or listen to it. Um, but yeah, that diet talk is everywhere. It's rampant this time of year. And it drives me crazy because then I just end up wanting to preach to people about how diets are stupid and they don't work and they're ineffective and you're just actually killing your metabolism and there's no mood killer worse than that. <laughs> then a soapbox. soapbox. Excuse me, let me <laughs> rant at you for a few minutes and tell you how your thinking is wrong. <laughs> The two things we can't talk about. Yeah, the two things we can no longer talk about at Thanksgiving. Food and politics. (laughs) Especially in these lovely times. Yeah, I mean, it's really, and we've said it before, I'll say it again. It's so hard to recover and stay grounded in recovery and science and normalcy when the entire culture is disordered. Mm -hmm. And the entire culture thinks that they have to, you know work off their turkey (laughs) or you see those yeah you posted one recently you see those um memes about this is how many burpees it takes to work off a piece of candy i'm like who cares you know your body utilized it anyway burpees are not oh yeah you don't have to earn your food burpees are no so we'll just go to the next one which is food morals (laughs) people talking about their food morals like i don't even understand why it's just particularly mainly this season like from halloween through christmas it's food justification time you know people are being so bad when they eat the cake or because you know they're not eating keto for a day they're just being terrible but they're gonna or none for me thinks i'm trying to be good I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah I'm so bad. Cookie is so my cheat day. Even think about the words like loaded and cheating. Like cheating implies that there's a right way to do things, and now you're doing it the wrong way. (laughs) Are you cheating on your brownie? Like I'm cheating on my brownie with the zucchini. I feel so naughty. (laughs) Feel so alive. (laughs) But yeah, that food morality. Um, and I'm just gonna put that out there. You are not a good person based on whether you ate the cupcake or not. I actually just put like a, I'm preparing a PowerPoint presentation for this topic, you know, eating disorders around the holidays. And it's beautiful. I found this image on a cupcake and it says, you ate a cupcake. You didn't murder somebody. Like that would be bad. 
You may yeah. feel like you want to now. Maybe that would be quote unquote bad. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I don't think like when God wrote the Ten Commandments, he wrote in, Thou shalt not eat a cupcake. <laughs> I think that was there. Thou shalt not have one too many desserts around the holidays. <laughs> Thou shalt be good about food. <laughs> so I think I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's in there or not, but um let's see what else. When so we all have those relatives that always talk about their weight, et cetera, but when they congratulate you on your recent weight loss, or when the same relatives recognize that your weight that you've gained weight and then they ever so slightly bring up how their friends lost weight doing this workout or that workout and how you should mm. really look into it. And I'm so obnoxious. Like there's this part of me that when people are like, Hey, you know, I'm not hey, congrats on your weight loss. I want to just be like, does that make me more valuable to you? Does that make me a better person in your eyes now? Yeah, all right. What does that mean? Does it make me seem less lazy and like I care? Is this more aesthetically pleasing to you? Do I fit your nor? Do I fit your standard of beauty now? Thank you. Thank you so much. Because you don't fit your standard of beauty. It's just crazy making. I think in general, like family members, friends, anybody, if you want to be conscious and supportive you're not even sure if anybody around you is struggling with an eating disorder count on about like mm, what is it seven percent anyway if you want to be careful just don't comment on anybody's weight it's not your business yeah your body your business their yeah, body you don't not know your business. how they feel about that weight loss or gain you don't know what it's from you have no indication of their health based on their weight so maybe let's just not comment on it unless somebody asks you to my favorite thing to do is what my therapist told me to do. She said, yeah, quitting heroin <laughs> makes you gain weight. <laughs> quitting heroin makes you gain weight? <laughs> yeah. It changes. Heroin, the other day I think it was crack. <laughs> or I started smoking weed. <laughs> yeah, using humor. Actually, that's one of my favorite strategies is use humor to deflect. Yeah. Yeah. What, what's another pet peeve? Well, ales. Um, people commenting on my plate. So how much or how little I'm eating or comments like, mm-hmm. cause I have children. So sometimes I'll load my plate with things that they can eat because even though they have their own plate, Absolutely. they want what's on my plate. Been there, done that. So I'll just be like, all right, I'll just load this, load this mother up and they'll end up eating. So they'll be like, someone's hungry. Are you sharing that with your kids? Or like last year when I just got out of treatment and had to go do Thanksgiving, People were like, that's all you're eating? Drives me crazy. And then it makes me want to be like, all right, I'm done. I quit. Yeah, because like, okay, so (laughs) if I load my plate up, that's too much. If I don't eat enough, then that's still an outrage. (sighs) Your plate, your boundary. And it's just, yeah, yeah. I learned that somewhere. Um, (laughs) You know, it's. Why would you comment on people's plates? Because people with any kind of eds, like the whole spectrum, all of the food stuff that brings guilt and shame. And when you're commenting on that, you're like cementing those feelings for them. Like they should feel guilty. They should feel shame. You're shitting all over the place and they yeah. can't even eat their food. Yeah. Or worse or other compensatory behaviors happen. I don't Just generally like outside of the curiosity of wondering if my plate looks normal enough like theirs 
you know, because number one, I want to be ousted for ed behaviors. And also it's a tool that my therapist wants me to use to make sure I'm normalizing my eating. So she says things like your plate should match John's, my husband's. So he eats tons (laughs) of food. (laughs) I'm like, no, that's not right. So I'll look around and be like, all right, this is fairly normal or whatever. Oh, here's a red flag on that. Here's Um, a red flag on that. Now, and I'm going to put this out there for everybody. If, again, because you talked about people around you talking a lot about diet talk around the holidays. If the people around you are dieting, don't do that. Okay. Okay, good. That's a little disclaimer there. Yeah, Compare your plate to people who have a healthy relationship with food. You know, if you're not the only person in your family with an ed, maybe don't compare your plate to the other person in the family. (laughs) That's a whole nother game. Let's see. I think also all of the talk about how people have skipped meals to prepare for the feast or like you said before, how they're just going to work it off afterwards. They're going to do that turkey trot. That little 5K is going to burn all those calories. And I'm not sure the general public realizes that that not eating before a meal to make up for it, you know, feeling like you have to exercise because you had an extra helping of pie, like all of that is what we call compensatory behaviors and is disordered. You may not have an eating disorder, but I guarantee you out there, mm-hmm. almost everybody has engaged in some kind of disordered eating. Drives me crazy. It's true. It drives me crazy now too. Didn't before. It's like, yeah, I do that, whatever. Yeah. Again, you don't have to earn special occasion calories. Your body's going to use them. Yeah. Your body's constant mission is homeostasis. And it takes a lot to jack that up. And we do a lot to jack that up. But your body's constant mission is homeostasis. And it takes quite a bit of tinkering to mess with that. So, you know, indulging an extra piece of pie is not going to screw that up. No, it's not going to make you gain like 10 pounds despite what your Ed is telling you. It's not going to make you gain weight overnight. Again, your body is going to be like, hey. We'll use some of this now and we'll send some of this to the liver for later. It'll be great. <laughs> it's fun. Fun times. Um, something else. My my relatives or well-meaning relatives in general who know I have an eating disorder trying to get me to eat dessert or something that's not already on my plate just to find the ingredients in the dish. So saying the calorie content or the fat content. Or how it's really not that bad because they made it with artificial everything. Rather than it's epic and delicious. Yeah. So you're telling me you used margarine? No thanks. <laughs> like you want to get me to eat a dessert. You'd be like, listen, this recipe has been handed down through the generations. <laughs> he uses lots of butter and sugar. And I'm like, in. Sold. Bring it. But if you tell me like you can eat this dessert because it's super low calorie and I substituted everything with applesauce, I don't want it. Here, try my vegan pie. My friend made a, a keto <laughs> pumpkin pie. That makes me and I was sad. like, oh. how do you even make pumpkin pie keto? How do you? It's go- terrible. Pumpkin itself is a carb. I don't understand. I don't make the keto rules. Good, and I don't follow them either. Rules are for the medically necessary and then not the rest of us. And also when they say, you know, I made it with Splenda or made it with whatever, margarine. And I mean, my orthorexic side like, oh, hell no. Yeah. <laughs> Are you about to eat <laughs> cancer up in here? You just want me to fuel any dormant cancer cells in my body? 
Cool. Thanks. <laughs> what about what comments on the, on the food are helpful? I think to me, any comments like, Oh, that aren't generally, this is really good. Or this is amazing. If it's not, if you're not saying something tastes good or it tastes amazing, if you're not complimenting the dish, then <laughs> shut up. I don't want <laughs> Unless it has mushrooms and you're like, Hey, this has mushrooms. Oh, thanks. I don't want to die of anaphylactic shock, so yeah. that's cool. So, yeah, unless it's pertinent to an allergy or preference or otherwise, just keep it too delicious. Keep it too delicious because then, see, my, we did this the other day. We went to this burger place called Cheesy Jane's, and I had to do a cheeseburger, a barbecue cheeseburger fear food challenge. I love it. Yeah. And you know what's so funny is that I liked it. And <laughs> And the whole time, my Ed's like, "What? Well, you can't like this." I'm like, oh god, so you can't like this. You were like, "But I do." Like what now? Um, but my husband got something random, like he always does—some German bratwurst sandwich. I'm like, try a bite; it's so good. And normally, I'm just like, "No, I'm not going to eat your food." But I did. I tried a bite of the sandwich, and it made him so happy. And was it good? No, because it, it's not really. I mean, it wasn't my thing. I, don't know, I think more than one meat on a sandwich is <laughs> a little much. <laughs> That's probably Ed stuff talking. So. Yeah, I'm like, what makes it a little much? Taste or thought? <laughs> uh, <laughs> next next thing. thing. And <laughs> <laughs> see, I wrote um, the pressure to drink alcohol after I've declined. So my family is Irish, and um, the other half of my family is Native American Cherokee, and so we drink. Um, my mom's side of the family, not so much, because we're super religious, so we don't drink. But my dad's side of the family, after people have left, they bust out the booze. And it's not necessarily a stuck point for me. Like, I'll drink now sometimes if I feel like it, maybe. I still, I, don't, I hate to say, like, alcohol is a fear food, but it has calories. So, you know, anything that's not liquor, generally, if it's liquor, I'll drink because I know how that gets metabolized. But so, <laughs> but like, if I say, if I say no, then don't push me to be like, oh, come on, you're not driving. It'll be okay. Because what ends up happening is, is I use the drinking to inappropriately cope with the stress and anxiety of the whole day. It's like, here, have a glass full of numbing. Don't mind if I do. Like here I am trying to be present and trying to feel my feelings and validate them and see what the heck's going on and just survive this day. And you're all like, yeah, have some tequila. And I'm like, mm -hmm. sure. <laughs> sounds, sounds doable. So yeah, it's not really a huge one, but it is kind of a pet peeve. Like if I right. say no, no means no. I think, I think we need to in society as gen society as a general, Oh my gosh. Society in general Need to say, need to realize that no means no. Maybe I've been drinking today. Jeez. Yeah, and I think <laughs> when I when I was coming up with two of my my strategies for surviving the holiday season, one of my favorite ones is the mantra: "It's not about you, right? It's not about me." Mm -hmm. I wrote that down too. It's really like if somebody is pushing pressuring you to drink or questioning your play or making comments about body, it affects you. Absolutely. But it is telling you more about where they're stuck, their beliefs, um, their feelings about their own body and food than it really is about you. And that's not to say, again, that it doesn't impact you. Of course it does. 
you know, that's why you have other strategies and coping skills as well. Yeah. But one of my favorite is like the mantra. It's not about me. This is not about me. Or this is, you know, this is telling me where they're at. Yeah. I'm going to have to use that. I think generally I realize that when people are commenting on um, how good I look now or whatever, it really bothers me because I'm trying to hold space for how I was fine before. Mm-hmm. So when, they're, when they say things like, oh, you look so healthy. <laughs> I was healthy before, technically. So body size and and. Uh, image or whatever has no indication of health you can you can't tell by looking at somebody if they're healthy or not so again it tends to be i said this to you but it tends to be this faint like this thinly veiled synonym for you look thinner you look really healthy um yeah. unless well i don't know unless you've flip side to that there i've had many patients um in recovery from restrictive eating disorders who start to gain weight and then their families say you look healthy and then they equate that to be fat yeah and you know family members have asked me for okay how do we cope with that what can we say i'm like don't just don't like I'm like don't what? say anything about their body <laughs> you can say your eyes are bright you know that you yeah, you have this glow yeah, your, about your you. Skin. Maybe yeah. you can even like be specific I because I do think that there is like a shine and a glow that happens when you're well nourished, versus your your skin quality does suffer when you're malnourished. So I think that's okay. You know, your skin is glowing. Your eyes really pop with that shirt. You're smiling a lot more now. Yeah, your body you you look more relaxed. Your shoulders aren't up around your ears all the time. You know, those those are appropriate things to comment on somebody's body. <laughs> When in doubt, just say nothing. Yeah. Even if they ask you. <laughs> or better yet, ask somebody how they're feeling. You know, how how is your recovery going? How are you feeling about it? Rather than you look. Because then you're just projecting what you think and believe onto somebody. Which we, I don't want to hear. <laughs> okay, what's your, what's your other one? My last one is, um, I don't, apparently this is not a normal thing. But it is for my family. They leave scales hanging out in the bathroom, in the bedroom, just like everywhere. And I always grew up having a scale. Like I never thought that not having one. One of the first purchases I made when I moved out on my own was to buy a scale. You're like essential shower curtain, doormat, scale. But when people hang, leave them hanging around in the bathroom, especially when you've said, hey, put the scale away. I don't just put it away, hide it. Don't put it in the bathroom. Don't put it where I can find it. Just you know, put it in a place that I can't get to, they always forget. And so it always ends up happening is I always know my weight mm. when I go to the doctor because they are just ter- terrible. And when I go um, to family member's house, because I mean, I wish I had the ability to be like, I'm not going to get on the scale. It doesn't matter. But of course I don't. So when I get on the scale and I see the crap that has happened, I text my treatment team and be like, what the hell are you Yeah, when they don't put it away, it's like the equivalent to handing an alcoholic like your wine and saying, hold this for a second, I'll be right back. Yeah. And you're like, okay. Yeah, my therapist said it's the same thing as giving a person who was addicted to heroin a syringe and just leaving the room. And I said, yeah, but the heroin's going <laughs> to kill them. She said, so will your eating disorder. I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah that. I like to forget that part. Yeah, I forgot about that <laughs> So what are some pet peeves for you 
I think, I don't know. I think one of my pet peeves in, in my family is a little bit different where um, overeating is the norm. And I've struggled with both restricting and overeating. Um, there are members of my family who will have their own pie. And so to, in my family culture, it's, it's being around that, um, that binge mentality is really difficult for me. Mm-hmm. That's the same in my family too. Certain people in my family, like, I hate to say that there's such a thing in my family as thin privilege, but there kind of is because if I were to sit down with my own pie, people would be like, you don't need all that pie. But if, you know, cousin Georgina, who, you know, yeah, is whatever, thin, I guess, um, sits down with a pie, they'll be like, oh, good, you need to get some meat on your bones. Yeah. I know. I was reading one of my favorite dietitian blogs. It's called imaeatthat.com. And um, she's this amazing dietitian out of, I think, Houston. And she was writing about, you know, the same thing, thin privilege. Like, you know, it should it should be normal for anybody of any body size to sit down with like a brownie and ice cream and not be shamed for eating it. But it isn't because in our society, there is such Absolutely. a thing as thin privilege. And it's weird, too, because I think I've seen a few memes about this, too, if you're and experienced it, you know, when you're when or if you're overweight if you're eating a salad, there's that constant fear of like, oh, great. Now people are thinking, well, good for her. Good for her. And then on the flip side of that, if you're like having something like decadent and delicious, then people are like, should you be eating that? Maybe she should be making a more low calorie choice. And so you're in this catch 22. And that's, I mean, that is one of the myriad of reasons why people who struggle with eating disorders don't like to eat in front of other people. And the holidays are just one big event of eating in front of people after another. Mm-hmm. When you think about like business party, you know, your work holiday parties, family gatherings, friends want to get together, you know, your church group wants to get together. There's like this constant and gathering around food is one of the oldest ways we gather and celebrate at the same time. It's become so distorted with all those messages that it's painful. But I wonder too, I think it must be, I think it must be painful for everybody. I'm sure it probably is because I even, like, I, I can tell in my family when people are feeling shame about what they're eating because very like is it empathetic. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just feel other people's feelings. So when they like sit down and eat and they're feeling shame about it, like I'll kind of ke- catch on to that shame and I'm like, what's going on over here? Like, So I don't know, maybe that's a weird hippie thing, but. Is that yours or mine? Oh, that's really hard for me during the holidays too. And then people will automatically start in with their justification or how much weight they've lost or whatever. And, and it, it kind of just like breaks my heart because I want them not to have to be um, as enslaved to uh, food rules and, you know, disordered thoughts as, you know, I have been in my eating disorder. Like I don't want that for them. And I just feel like if they keep, going down that path, they're going to get there. They're going to flip that switch. Yeah. And it's almost, you know, I love that the concept of, of rebellion just with my background stuff. And there's no mm-hmm. bigger rebellion and no bigger F you 
to this this society to like disordered society or culture around food and body than to just eat what you want you know and and I don't mean like binge on what you want but I mean like enjoy enjoy what you're eating enjoy what you have chosen to eat rather than justifying it there's no bigger f you to that there's no bigger f you than being like you know what I'm done trying to force my body into pants that hurt <laughs> I'm down with uncomfortable <laughs> pants you know if I have to buy the next size up and be comfortable and happy and I still move and I'm still in my body and I'm fueling it and feeding it and attending to it and giving it rest and loving it and caring for it. That's what, that's all I need to do. There's no bigger F you to our society than not striving to look a certain way. I really, I'm really trying to embrace that lately. I just kind of hit a point where I'm like, following all these rules is not getting me anywhere. It's just screwing up my metabolism more. Maybe they're right. (laughs) And, and, you know, I know that I know they're right, but also Try not to be just making peace for where my body is now with the thought of maybe it'll change. But if it doesn't, I guess I'll just have to be okay with this. And, you know. Oh, shoot. That's the constant. I mean, the constant wrestling. I'm still doing that now, Tara. I'm still doing that now where, you know, that whole postpartum body, this is not the body I thought I was going to end up with, right? So there's that adjustment. There's that work to accept that. And there's that constant still with my history thought of like, I could just start dieting. And then my brain and then my training and my brain kicks in and I go, uh, why? So I can gain more weight in the future. (laughs) Right. So either I can eat less always or gain more weight in the future. Uh, I guess I'm just going to have to accept this body. So just roll with it. That's the thing too. Um, when, kind of talking about the food when you're craving mm-hmm. pizza like you really just want pizza I, and even if you're you know overweight or no more weight or whatever I don't think it would ever be wrong to be like I'm just going to eat a slice of pizza but I'm going to balance it out too and you know have some vegetables too and then make sure I have my protein you know meet your exchanges or macros yeah. macros whatever I don't because if you just say well I'm not going to eat pizza I'm going to eat a salad well, what's going to happen you're going to be thinking about pizza all friggin' day long. And then if you bring home leftover pizza, you're going to binge on that pizza later, probably. Yeah. And then that feeling of deprivation does a lot of harm as well. Um, because either, either it fuels, you know, the eating disorder or it fuels that kind of like self flagellation part of you. That's like, well, I feel deprived, but I deserve to feel deprived. I don't, you know, Yeah. there's that kind of self flagellation about it or it's just torture. You know, on the other hand, where it's like your fairness side kicks in. Wait a second. I do deserve this and I'm deprived. And so then, you know, that rebellious side will kick in. Either way, deprivation in general doesn't lead to good results. Nope. Not typically. Um, Do we want to move on to coping? I think one of my, one of the biggest strategies is thinking ahead for me. Like think ahead. What has happened in the past? at family gatherings or business or work parties or whatever that have been a problem or an issue for you and how can you make a plan Um, because it's not just coping when it hits you got to have some things in your back pocket for that but it's also planning ahead to try to anticipate what's going to come and having a plan for it I just want to show you that the first thing I wrote down was cope ahead (gasps) I love (laughs) it 
<laughs> yeah, that's yeah. We do that a lot, or I do it a lot anyway. But it's one of my favorite skills because you can just be like, "Well, this has happened in the past. This is probably what's going to happen again because ain't nobody learned their lesson." <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> I think you've done this as well. Part of coping ahead is communicating your boundaries in advance. Yes, definitely. Even if they know your boundaries, even if they know not to talk about your weight, even if they know not to talk about food calories or whatever, it's totally okay to reinforce that boundary before you go, mm-hmm. before they arrive, etc. Because then it's fresh in their mind. Like, oh yeah, these are the things I can and cannot talk about. And I, and I hate to be... I don't know. For me, I just feel like I'm being an extra sensitive snowflake. <laughs> I'm like, don't talk about weight. Don't talk about weight loss. Don't talk about working out. Don't talk about food. But at the same time, those are, I'm learning to be okay with asking for what I need. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know that that makes you a special snowflake, although you are. <laughs> I think, <laughs> you know, I think that makes you, you attentive to your areas of need and willing to take care of yourself. You know, and I think that brings me to the next point too, which is once you have that and you've set those boundaries, know how you're going to back them up. Because I think so many times when you're first learning boundaries and learning to set them and practice them that you'll say, I don't want to talk about diet. I don't want to talk about weight. I don't want to talk about bodies. But then it comes, when it comes up, we don't know what to do. And then we just kind of freeze or, you know, withdraw or get angry or whatever. And just, just know, just have that in your, Okay. If diet talk comes up, I'm going to walk out of the room, you know, so that there's not just the boundary, but how you're going to back it up. Mm-hmm. It's okay to reinforce your boundary, even if they're crossing your boundary. Just be like, remember, I, I said we can't talk about this. And then if they continue, that's typically what I do. If they keep talking about it after I say, guys, I can't really talk about mm-hmm. this stuff. It's kind of triggering. I'm like, oh, and they keep on. I just leave the room. I'm like, okay, yeah. I said I can't talk about this. You're going to keep talking about it anyway. You're not respecting my boundaries. So I'm going to remove myself. And typically I can do that with most of my family. But there are some of my family members that I'm just like, yeah. it's not worth it. I'm just going to leave. Yeah. <laughs> and that is self-care. Like, I think that's something we don't think about. Like honoring and and maintaining your own boundaries and following through on them is self-care that is self-love that is loving yourself enough to go you know it might rock the boat people might think I'm just being a special snowflake but I respect myself enough to get myself out of a triggering situation what about working on strategies to cope with your therapist before the big day yeah what strategies do you like to use I like to make dbt skill cards and keep them handy and just whip them out when I need to or um, I'll make a little, like a mental health mm-hmm. emergency care kit, maybe. I don't know. It's just a plastic bag that I keep in my purse that has like grounding oils in it or a cold pack that I can like snap and like put on the back of my neck to calm down. Or um, what else is in there? Gum. I like bubble wrap. Oh, I need to get some of that. I have bubbles. When you When you grab it and twist it. <laughs> Makes them like it pops several, or it makes a very satisfying sound. I don't know, very satisfying. I have uh cheeseburger and pizza bubbles in my care kit. <laughs> Target shop win. I also keep Tylenol and aspirin because mm-hmm. you know, headaches happen, so people can cause headaches. I like to keep like favorite, um, favorite inspirational sayings or. Or what's motivating me at that time. Because I'm big on like having realistic recovery goals. 
you know, like being able to and and having those goals tied to a value. So sometimes I'll have that written down um, going into a stressful situation so that you can kind of stay grounded in who you want to be in that situation or what you want to practice in that situation. Yeah, I I definitely wrote down that. um, Let's see. Keep a list of what motivates you and your goals and how it aligns (laughs) with your core values. Great minds think alike. I didn't even look these up either. Like, I was just like, oh, yeah, no, yeah. I'm going to use what I know. And you know quite a bit. Yeah. And then keeping the focus on the meaning of the holiday, too. <gasps> I had that one, too. The holiday spirit. Yeah. I think, too, that, that kind of ties back into that value stuff. It's like, what do the holidays mean to you and how can you demonstrate that? You know, is mm-hmm. for some people, Thanksgiving is a celebration and a feast and a gathering. And then for other other people and other families, it, it's an opportunity to focus on gratitude or blessing <coughs> or service um, and helping others. So whatever, whatever value or meaning or purpose you can give to that holiday, then that gives you something else to focus on is how can I walk that out instead of, oh my God, what, what am I going to be faced with eating? Yeah. And especially for adults with eating disorders, the adulting crowd, Especially if you have children. I think it's important to, you know, keep your focus on the meaning of the holiday or what it means to you and your family and how your children are experiencing it and just spending that moment with them because you're never going to get that back. If you're wasting that day worrying about, well, can I escape to go purge this lunch or can I go work this off somehow? I mean, you're missing out a whole day of memories with your kids that you ain't never going to get back. Yeah, yeah. Or my gym is closed this day, so I need to go for a run. <laughs> I like the shutters. Uh, uh. <laughs> I feel some type of way about running now. Did you write down any other skills or strategies? I did. Um, come up with a doable meal plan for the big day and have your dietitian answer food questions or debunk your ed thoughts about the foods. So for me, since I tend to be more, I tend to be like orthorexic and restricting, she will be like, no, mm-hmm. all foods fit. Um, all foods have a fat, a protein, and a carb. So it doesn't matter what's necessarily in it so much. So just, you know, really preparing for your appointments, like your dietitian appointment and your therapy appointments around the holidays with specific things mm-hmm. that you struggle with. Like if, Thanksgiving is always a struggle day for you, then write down five of your biggest struggles about the day and see, um, you know, if it's food related, see how your dietitian can help you tackle it. If it's both, see how your therapist and your dietitian can tackle it. I think it's really important to be in constant communication with your team leading up to that day, because otherwise you're going to get there and be like, well, I guess I'll just burn everything down now. Yeah. And I mean, and that goes back to having a you know, having a good team, having a team that you trust and committing to that practice of radical honesty about your recovery. Because there, you're not, you know, so many times I think the eating disorder, like the perfectionist side of the eating disorder wants to impress your treatment team, you know, but it'll hide a lot or keep a lot hidden. Like, I'm going to keep this to myself and I'll tell my team this, but not this part. And they're really like, they may be frustrated with you or disappointed with you, but they're, unless you have like a really crappy treatment team, they're not going to be judging you. 
Um, and if they are, get a new treatment team. Yeah, you need a new treatment team. If you feel judged in your treatment, yeah. it's time for them to go. Because that's not going to serve you at all. That's serving whatever messed up thing that they need. Serve. They can't help you unless they know what you're going to be struggling with. Yeah, that's the one thing that I've been doing mm-hmm. a lot is tattling on myself when I need to. I don't always do it, but mostly <laughs> I do. It depends. Sure, of course. Yeah. Kind of day of happening, I guess. But it doesn't matter if I do or I don't. They're going to find out anyway because I can't lie worth crap. And when they ask me, my face just gives me away. My pitch. My pitch changes. Um, another thing I wrote down is having a support person handy for the day. And making sure they know that they're your support person too. Like, set that. <laughs> Make sure they're aware of what they're getting into. Um, yeah, and what you – seriously though, and also like knowing what you need for support. Yes. And knowing your, not your triggers, but knowing kind of like your behaviors or things to watch out for. It's really hard to fail when there's somebody keeping you Mm -hmm. accountable for that. Um, For me, it's my husband. I asked him how how it is to support somebody with an eating disorder during the holidays. And he he said something pretty cool. He said he has to play a bigger role in my treatment team because he's a part of my treatment team technically, which I don't know what purpose that serves, but he's on the team. And, um, he says he has to encourage me and be more aware and conscious of what people are saying and doing around me. So he listens for those questions they ask me about my plate or food or body or weight. And then he'll kind of look at me to make sure to see if I caught it. Cause he can yeah. always tell if I caught it cause my face changes. And then, and then he'll come over to me if he's not by me already and like hug me or give me a kiss to try to ground me from that situation and um, he'll either offer an escape or he'll he'll say something or he'll wait for me to say something. Yeah, all of that. That's a great way to be an ally. I hope people are taking notes because that is awesome. And I like and I like, too, that you said he's part of your team because he is right. This isn't an adversarial because um, so many times, again, when you're battling an eating disorder, sometimes it can feel like your friends and family are battling you. <laughs> Right. And so he's not telling you what you should or should not be eating. He's not telling you how to act. He's just listening for that in the environment around you to be there and back you up and ground you and put people in their place. I think that's wonderful. He says that he's always mindful Mm -hmm. of if I need extra help Mm, because I never asked for it. He's like, yeah, that's a perfectionist thing. I'm working on it. It's hard. And it's good to have him around too, because he'll know, like if I get up to leave somewhere, he'll always ask, mm-hmm. where are you going? <laughs> and then if I am going to go purge something that I, I, it gives me a second to pause and yeah. be like, all right, what am I really doing here? So that's good. I wrote down this new thing that I kind of want to do this year, which is um, challenging myself outside of like my meal plan. Ooh, what do you mean? So even if I don't, if I don't have a challenge food that day, which I more than likely will, but it, if I don't for some reason and I, I see a cookie and be like, oh, that looks good. I might want that cookie. Then I'll do the cookie flow chart sheet. You guys need to check out should I eat the cookie on imaeatthat.com. That's super good. And um, if I want it, then I, I think I'm going to eat it and just surprise the crap out of my treatment team. I love it. Like, I, I love this cookie. idea. Because I, f- I feel like that's, kind of like 
letting me be in the spirit of the holiday like everyone else and normalizing kind of what I'm doing there. And also a big middle finger to Ed. Like, yeah, you're not going to get to control this whole day. Yeah, because then you get to, it, 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 it almost makes it playful. Yeah. Almost. Almost. <laughs> almost. There is that yeah. definite freak out moment that's yeah. going to happen. Oh, I had a thought too. Um, so you might have the best laid plans. You have had put in the forethought for your triggers. You have a support system in place. You have coping skills to manage it. You're ready to back up your boundaries. You did your best and you still relapse. Yeah. And I wanted to talk about that as well, that the holidays, you know, with so much stress, because there's not just that event, right? It's the lead up. It's the planning. It's the flurry of emails back and forth with Christmas coming. There's whose house, what family drama is going on? Who am I buying gifts for? And how old are their kids? What are those kids even into these days? Right? There's all of the holiday stress, plus your schedule is stressed to the max that sometimes your best laid plans um, aren't enough or you're not or you're not there yet or you're still struggling or you've improved a lot, but there's still some areas of weakness and all that's okay. Um, but if if this holiday season you're faced with a relapse, it's like, you know, like I say, it's like getting a flat tire. You don't need to slash the other three. So get, you know, get in contact with your treatment team as soon as possible. Um, mourn it. You know, it's okay to feel shitty about it, but then just pick yourself up and what is the next recovery focused decision I can make? Definitely. Don't just be like, well, I already skipped breakfast mm-hmm. and my morning snack today. I'm already screwed up. I think I'll just go ahead and skip the rest of the meals of the day. Yeah. That makes zero sense, number one. <laughs> and number two, I mean, it's not going to help you at all. You're just because then you're going to get on that slippery soap and you're going to keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it. Mm-hmm. And then your butt going to end up in treatment again. Ooh, I want to try to keep us under an hour, but any final thoughts about if your family springs an intervention on you. Oh, God. <laughs> that happens during um, the holidays, too. It's like, you know, families are gathered. If they see a problem, that tends to be a time that they're like, hey, we're concerned. I guess it does. I think I've been a part of one intervention. I'm not sure it was an intervention, and I wasn't even really present for it. But, um, <laughs> I mean, it was there. But anyway. Um, you know what I'm saying? I think if that happens, you need to, number one, see that they obviously really love and really care for you, even if they are being dumb (laughs) in the way that they show it and (laughs) are not realizing that, hey, maybe this isn't the best thing. Even though I saw it on like TV, definitely probably not going to work in real life. Like I'm not a huge fan of the big gathered interventions because I feel like that's really just serving the people in the intervention and not the person who needs the intervention. I feel like they're making a big, huge situation that's not even about them, about them and their feelings. And while that's important and how they feel is important and how what this person is doing affects them is also important. The main focus is motivating the person to Mm -hmm. seek treatment, any kind of treatment, substance abuse, ed, whatever. That's the whole purpose. And I think, um, 
I say this a lot in regards to my faith, like you're going to win somebody more by coming alongside them in the struggle than you are just attacking them with all the stuff, you know? So I think if, you know, you want to hold an intervention, maybe don't, maybe stop. But definitely it would be okay to talk to that person and just be like, you know, I see your behaviors. I see what you're doing and I'm really concerned about you and your health. And I just, you know, really want you to seek some kind of help or some kind of treatment or whatever. I think that Mm -hmm. would be okay as long as that relationship is there. I like the question too, like, what do you think your life would be like if you weren't struggling with this? You know, just getting somebody to even start to even imagine that there could be a life apart from it. Um, to turn that on, uh, cause yeah, so many times, um, I, and I've seen this, I've seen an inpatient, I've seen an outpatient. If somebody is coerced, manipulated, or given an ultimatum for treatment, that treatment is sometimes effective. I mean, if somebody is like, you know, systems are breaking down and they have no cognitive functioning because they're malnourishment, then that ultimatum can be useful. But in general, if you're trying to motivate somebody who Yes, it's yes, it's serious, um, but they've managed to stay out of the hospital so far, and you're trying to motivate them to get treatment. An ultimatum is usually might get them there, but it's not going to be effective in lasting change. That has to come from the person, and I think that one way to start to do that, if you're concerned about a friend or family member, is just to get them to start thinking about what they could do, um, who they want to be apart from the eating disorder. Yes, definitely. I think that's the number one thing mm. that got me to go to treatment the first time was increasing health problems, but also realizing that everything that I'm being right now is totally against everything I believe in and my core values. So what am I doing and how do I fix this? Like, yeah. Yeah. And then the last time I went to treatment, I was kind of, it was kind of an ultimatum. So what ended up happening, I signed myself out after three weeks because <laughs> yeah. I wasn't motivated to be there. But I, I got a lot of good things out of it, but I didn't really need to be there, I don't think. So I don't know. Maybe that's up for debate. But don't know enough to comment. But, okay. So with our last few minutes, do you have any favorite holiday foods or traditions? Oh what? <laughs> what? Oh, <laughs> flipping all the tables. Um, <laughs> favorite foods. Um, I like tacos. I know Maybe that's not a holiday be. food, but <laughs> it could be. We need to give yeah. tacos a chance, people. <laughs> but I guess turkey. I don't mind turkey so much. I eat it all the time anyway. Um. But yeah, maybe mm. homemade mashed potatoes. Lumpy or no lumpy? Bit of a fear food. Yeah. Lumpy. Mine is deviled eggs. Oh, I like those too. I yeah, it's not Thanksgiving without food. a deviled egg. Uh, we have, I have little cousins. Uh, I have a cousin that makes, I think it's like seven dozen deviled eggs. And then they're all gone. Of course, I have 21st yeah. cousins. So, I mean, that makes sense, but. Yeah. And traditions. Um, We do this thing at my house. The kids get Christmas jammies and a Christmas book on Christmas Eve. 
Um, my favorite Thanksgiving tradition revolves around cookies. And it's we get sugar cookies and we decorate them and make them into little oh cookies with God. all the little kids. Kids make the best cookie decorating. Yeah. So that's fun. Yeah, they do. And then also um, my, my dad's side of the family, since there's so many of us, we all put on a variety show of the Christmas story awesome. at Christmas time. And it ends up being hysterical every time. <laughs> Straight up shenanigans. But what are your favorite foods? Oh, definitely deviled eggs. Um, at thanks. And I love green bean casserole. I'm so basic. Yeah, food <laughs> that glue. That mushroom soup in it, doesn't it? Uh, oh, yeah. I can eat that. I'm sure you can it up. But yeah, I like green bean casserole. Um Christmas, I don't know if we ever have like the same thing all the time. Like that tends to be more variable. Um, but my favorite tradition is the day after Thanksgiving, that's when we put up the tree. So I like that. Yeah. And then the decorate, there's too. nothing better than like just sitting in the dark at the end of the day and the kids are in bed and, and then you flip on the lights and you just sit there in the little twinkle and glow. I love that. Yeah, I like to whenever we get to spend the holidays alone as mm-hmm. our own little family of five. Because then we, we don't have the stress of having to go anywhere. So it makes things 100% more easier. And we make up little memories for our, for our kids. So that way they're remembering the holidays of, yeah, we didn't get to go see Grandma and Grandpa or whatever. But this is what we did instead. Yeah. And it was fun. Okay, so I would like to leave our listeners with a little shot of that. Um Think about what you can do to build your traditions, not just around food. I mean, including food, absolutely, but not just around food. What what feelings do you want your families to be, um, I guess, to be imbibed with? I don't know. <laughs> what do you want to create? What atmosphere do you want to create around the holidays? What traditions, what beliefs, what feelings? Um, and how can you do that? All right, so next. Ooh, I think this is a good time. So next podcast, we're going to be talking a little bit about body image. And I think, you know, right before people typically make your, you know, the stereotypical New Year's resolutions, will be a good time to talk about that. Um, Maybe it will liberate you to make better resolutions. Maybe. Have a happy Thanksgiving, people. Enjoy it. And we'll see you next time.